Hello, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis, and we're about eight-ish days out from the start of the NHL playoffs. The NHL still hasn't ironed out exactly what day the playoffs are going to start. It's going to be a little bit different. The teams up in Canada have games to make up because of the Canucks COVID pause, which took them out of commission for a while. So those games probably won't start till next week. There's some conjecture that the NHL playoffs in the States amongst the three divisions here might be able to begin as soon as Sunday, but maybe not until Monday or Tuesday. And as part of that, I am making my way around through the league going to be hitting with as many people as I possibly can. I've got, I think, 13 of the 16 teams I have a guest lined up for over the next two weeks. So lots of hockey. Today, I have a guest to come talk about the Washington Capitals. I will see you guys with that guest in one second. But before I get to our, my guest, I do have to remind everyone, whatever podcasting platform you're listening to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, please throw the show a follow. We're getting nice numbers. We're slowly but surely going up we're not plateauing yet, which is nice. It's a good sign. All of that said, I will see you guys in one second. The Boston Bruins now turn it over. A two-on-one. Knubel coming with Ward. Knubel with a chance. Backhander loose. They score! They score! They score! It's over! And with that, I welcome on my very special guest to come talk about the Washington Capitals. He is a member of Japer's Rink, the Washington Capitals SB Nation blog. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How you doing, Nick? I'm very excited. Like we were saying before we started recording, this is a great time of year to be a content creator. There's an infinite number of things to write and talk about. This is what it's about, man. We're really close to the playoffs and it starts to ramp up around here. Yeah, well, it'd be nice uh, as a capital fan to get to talk about hockey, I think, for once, because it's yeah. uh, a lot of the stuff has been not hockey. And I, I like I took a couple of days off Twitter in the midst of the Tom Wilson discourse just to kind of and, and, and when the Caps started playing again, even though they were badly shorthanded, I was just like, oh, thank goodness. I'm just so tired of having to deal with all the other on off ice crap. Yeah, man, it's part of the discussion, and we'll start there naturally. I mean, it's a it's been a week now. Last Monday was when it happened, and I'll just say this. We're not going to dwell on this too long. The vast majority of Capitals fans I know and I interact with understand that some of what Tom Wilson does is not okay, and that's fine. We understand that, that what he has as a hockey player is invaluable. There's two, three guys in the entire league with that skill set. It's just a matter of, you know, keeping it to the hockey part of it and as opposed to the, I'll, I'll say extracurriculars to be polite. <laughs> Punching prone players in the back of the heads. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, exactly. Uh, I'll, I'll lead you. I'll lead you there. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's frustrating. I, um, it, it sucks because like, as everyone says, Tom Wilson is a very good hockey player. It's not yeah. like a Matt Cook situation where Matt Cook was like a borderline fourth liner. You know, it was, yeah. it's very much, and we're Ryan Reeves, also kind of a borderline player still. Uh, Tom Wilson's a bona fide, you know, top six player. And he does things in terms of his physicality when he's on the right side of the line that are, as every NHL GM would say in private, is really valuable, right? Like yeah. he, does a great job of generating space for you know the wiggers and he is really good at uh, he's a better puck handler than he's given credit for he's really fast and when he's on he's great and he's a lot of fun to watch but you know this year i think in particular he's been on the wrong side of that way too often and uh you know i think that 
at this point, like if Wilson's the subject of another bad hit, then he's going to probably have the rule book thrown at him and he won't have much position to argue at this point. Yeah, no, I mean, he's invaluable. When I know a number of people, I think it was Emily Kaplan of ESPN had said it during her sports center hit that if Ovi wasn't the captain, that Tom Wilson would probably be the captain of the team. Yeah. In terms of, yeah. <laughs> in terms of what he means to the team emotionally as a leader, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, I'll say this too. Like I, you, you talk to people around the team and you talk to people around the media and everything like that. And people have good stories about Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson is, yeah. I think, very outspoken. He's, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to kind of bring it to social justice stuff too much, but I think in terms of, he's he's more outspoken on that than i think he's given credit for he's great with the fans uh he's he's a if you take off the stuff about you know all the suspension where he hits which is a big thing to say but but if you do then he's a the kind of outspoken community advocate that you really would want as a captain and i that's what i think in many ways makes it frustrating to see this because i think wilson's a better I, you know, like you see some of this stuff about, oh, Wilson like needs therapy or something like that. And you're like, all right, like this, this might be a little bit of an overreaction, but at the same time, like you just wish you'd cut it out because all of the other things he does are so valuable. And so I, I think beneficial to both the capitals and hockey as a whole. So it's, it's really frustrating to see that because he can be a really, really valuable player uh, when he's not, you know, doing the suspension worthy hits. And then in reaction to that, being afraid to be physical, which is yeah. also a kind of tricky balance that we could talk about a little too. But that's something that I think Wilson's struggling with this year, because I think this has been maybe one of his worst years, I would say, as a capital. Like he hasn't been particularly good this year. And I think that we had Alan May on the NBC Sports Washington people on our podcast, and he was mentioning that after the Carlo hit, he's been pulling up from legitimate hits, and that's that's not the kind of play you need to see from Wilson either. So it's uh, I think been a Wilson's been in between a lot this year, and I think he would be the first one to say how frustrating that can be. The last thing on the Tom Wilson subject I want to touch on is he's had quite an interesting career arc because it feels like he's been around in the league forever. But that's because yeah, really he came does. in at 18 years. He came in at 18. He did. He was yep, playing he right away. He should not yeah. have come in at 18, but he did. Yeah, uh, yeah well, because I, I, I'm happy to go into the story about that. So basically, uh, Tom Wilson comes up and Adam Oates is the head coach. And yeah. every Capitals fan will ever say, like, we've had our frustrations with Todd Rudin. But Adam Oates, I think, was the easily the worst head coach I probably since Boudreaux took over. Like, he just mm-hmm. was not good. And he brings Tom Wilson up and basically puts Tom Wilson – a first round pick in this kind of fourth line goon role. And just like his job is fighting people. And you had a lot of people like, you know, me and like JP who founded our site, basically saying this isn't a good role for Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson has a lot of talent. He doesn't need to be learning how to play hockey this way. He needs to be uh, at that time when he was 18 and playing on the fourth line, he probably should have just been in in, in Canada for another year. Just, just keep him in juniors for another year. I didn't really understand why they felt the need to bring him to the NHL if he, if they weren't going to play him and we're just going to stick him with fourth line players. And I think that that, I mean, I don't want to make Tom excuses for Tom Wilson and I won't, but I do think if you're going to analyze the Tom Wilson career trajectory, I think that's a key part of it. And I'm glad you're, is, glad yeah. you're hitting on it. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Because I remember I was talking with this about one of my friends who watches hockey, but not like professionally, not every single game. And he's like, I saw Tom Wilson just kind of punch people. I didn't know he was actually good at hockey now yeah. because he only <laughs> well, casually knows. <laughs> and, yeah. and he turned out to be pretty good. Yeah. 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 So, so it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting yeah. evolution. And that's part of his story. And it's part of why he feels the need to play the way he does now, even though he still feels the need to do some of the things in between the whistles that that was what his coach asked of him when he first got here and it kept him in the league. So yep. he felt obligated to keeping that. So now that we've kind of put the foundation there, that that's old news. That's last week. We, yes. we've, we've, everybody's <laughs> gone back goodness. to their corner. Everybody's yep, gone yep, back yep. to their he, corner. He got the, he got the, I would argue inadequate, uh, just, you know, fine. And uh, I personally would have suspended him for the rest of the year. That was kind of where I was, but, but yeah. it's over. It's done. Exactly, exactly. So before we get into the Capitals right now, I do want to reflect a little bit on the Rangers and Capitals as a rivalry, because I know a lot of the frustration us hockey fans have had with the NHL is marketing people in the right situations where for a while that national game was rivalry night and it would be the Red Wings <laughs> and the Bruins because they were original six teams and they yes. hated each other 50 years ago. Yep. And one of the great rivalries they had at their disposal for a lot of the last decade, Rangers Capitals, it never really got that like marquee billing of these are two teams that think they can win the Stanley Cup every single year and they meet head to head in the playoffs every single year. And these guys genuinely don't like each other. And, and are two big media markets too, right? Yeah, and it's not on top like of that, it's yeah. not like it's Winnipeg, Nashville or something. Yeah, right? You know? Yeah. 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 That was, that was we, frustrating. And the playoff series were amazing. We talked about it before we started. You had the Can You Hear Us series in 2010, which the Capitals won. You had the 2011-12 series, the one where Brad Richards scores the goal with six seconds left to tie it. You have the lockout shortened season one where the Rangers win game six and seven, come back from 3-1 down and win. And then you have the 2015 one, which I think is the best one out of all of them, the one that goes to the game seven of double overtime in the second round. And anything could have happened. I I mean, yeah. you, I, right before the goal happens in overtime, Doc is talking to Eddie and he says, we were talking to Barry Trotz before the game and he said, it's a shame that someone's going to have to lose this series because it's been that close. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that, I, I, that was uh, the same year that the Capitals beat the Islanders and maybe one of the best yeah. series I've ever seen in before that. And that was, that was a, that was a very good Caps team that, that was the one of three years in a row where the, these were really, really good Caps teams that just kind of ran into a wall. And for uh, in kind of the middle part of the 2010s, that was you guys. And then in the yeah. later part, it was the Penguins. So, uh, and I guess in the early part too, I guess really you guys <laughs> are the two teams. It's uh, I, 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 it's funny. I was uh, when, when we, when the Caps signed Henrik Lundqvist kind of before the, all the tragic stuff happened, uh, I, you know, I, we were, we were kind of talking internally at the site about like, do the Caps maybe win a, cu a couple more cups if it's not for Henry Funquist, because he was that good in those series against the Caps. Yeah. You definitely have an argument. I mean, I always talk about it that the best team usually doesn't win the cup. It's the team that gets the hottest at the right time and you find the right combination of goaltending and streaky shooting and you find it because that Capitals team in 2015 was probably good enough to win the cup if they got there. You, you the, 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 the 2018 cup was not yeah. their most talented roster. Like I think exactly. every Caps fan will tell you that. It just yeah. like they got hot at the right time. You don't expect Devontae smith Kelly to so score seven goals. But like that's the kind of stuff you need to win a cup <laughs> that's just kind of how it works unfortunately 
Yeah. It's not like the NBA. The NBA, yeah. the best team wins a lot more, which I, you could, you could, I think, I think I would like it personally if we had more offense and that there was a little bit less randomness than we have now. But <laughs> I, the, the reality, I, I think, I think smart NHL people will tell you this is that the way to win a cup is to make the playoffs a lot of times. Yeah. Like, and then you just, you know, like you say, all right, who's the best team this year? Like Colorado, maybe. I think that's probably the best team. Like what, what, what shot would we say of winning it? They, they might not even make the third round because yeah. <laughs> like, they they're, they're going to probably play Vegas. So I, it's just like one of those things. And I'm like, as a Rangers fan, I'm sure you're familiar with this too. Like the Rangers had plenty of great yeah. teams and you know, you made, you, you went on one cup run and then kind of ran into the Kings who were really good and uh, yeah. got, got a good goaltending. And that, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah, hockey's unfair. Hockey's yes. unfair. <laughs> it is a cruel sport, and it's really cruel in the playoffs when uh, you lose in double overtime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which cap stands we have a lot of experience about. So it, it made the cup win a little sweeter, and kind of knowing all the franchise crap that we had to endure before it. That's a good way to transition to the next thing we have in the rundown here is understanding the Capitals after they win the cup. Because it's one of the interesting themes I've explored a lot on this show is how do teams react, deal with already winning? Because yeah. inherently, once you win, no matter how hard you're trying, a little bit is like, all right, we already won one. I can live with that. Even if we don't win this one, you're obviously trying your hardest. You're making the best decisions possible. But subconsciously, a little bit, it's hard to stay hungry once you have already won. And that's why we revere the teams that are able to win multiple championships in the same window you talk about the penguins going back to back the red wings last decade so the kings and blackhawks too the kings and blackhawks exchange in the early 2010s where it seemed like either one of them was winning a cup yeah it's it's impressive it's hard too yeah so first thing i have to ask is can you explain what happened and why they just let barry trotz leave yeah so that's a good question and you, you talk to different people, they'll have different answers. The, the mm. way I've kind of understood it is as follows. Uh, the first thing to understand, I think, going into it was Barry Trotz, if they did not win the Stanley Cup, was going to be gone. And at that point, actually, one of the crazy parts about the Caps Cup run is that there was all kinds of reporting that the team was very, very close to firing him at multiple points during the Stanley during uh, during the year. There was one game where I think they said if the Caps didn't beat Minnesota at home, Barry Trotz was going to get fired because they had just gotten steamrolled by Nashville and, and the Avalanche. And so that's like kind of the funny thing, but it's also important context to understand, right, that Barry Trotz was very close to getting fired. And on top of that, there was actually another thing that happened that kind of goes a little under the radar, but Todd Reardon, who later became the head Caps head coach, actually had a promotion to not just assistant head coach, but associate head coach, which like we kind of, I, I always kind of joke that meant he was the assistant to the head coach. But uh, I, you know, I think that that was one where there was always a little bit of an awkward dynamic in the room and that there were kind of reports too about in the later part of the 2018 year that there was kind of a maybe a power struggle between Reardon and Trotz and the team like started maybe making some changes in terms of how they were playing which obviously worked out but there was always kind of a weird dynamic in 2017-18 between Trotz and the Caps that I think is kind of crucial to understand and then you, you, you take it at face value, which is that Trotz's contract was up and the Caps had a provision in the contract that said, 
okay, if you win the cup, we're going to, you know, you're, you're eligible to get a, I think it's like a 30% raise or something like that, which was laughably inadequate for Barry Trotz is widely considered fairly one of the best head coaches in the NHL. And I think that the Capitals had their head coach in waiting and Todd Reardon. They, I think they were ready for that transition. And, you know, you look at that, Barry Trotz wants like a five, like a raise that's like five times the salary or whatever it was. And I think the team was kind of like, okay, we're already kind of on the way out. So this was a great way to go out, but I think that that's kind of the way it's going to go. And I, and I think Barry was in, in my opinion, justified in, in thinking, all right, like I, y'all almost fired me. I don't, I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you any loyalty. Like, you know, this is a business and that's kind of how the business goes. And so I think that that was, I think that Trotz was already in his fourth year at that point, And they were, you know, NHL coaches already kind of have a shelf life as we know. Uh, David Quinn's might be a lot shorter than we think, but uh, you know, I think that he, he was kind of towards the end of his shelf life already. And it's really cool that he went out with a cup, but I think that the Caps were kind of looking to make that decision anyways. Gotcha. Yeah. That definitely seems about with what I've read. Like what, like you said, there's always going to be multiple versions of a story when something yes. like that happens where no one wants to make anyone else look bad. So everyone is just going to come to one story and whatever happens, happens. You mentioned it briefly in there about Reardon as your coach for a year or a year and a half, whatever it was, and going into the bubble last year and them just coming out flat in the bubble and then the decision to hire Lobby Lett. So walk me through what the last year and a half-ish was like after winning a cup, you come back, you have a mess season, not a terrible year, but you go into the bubble, meh, not, not a great look. They didn't really play that well. There was the rumor out there they were having a pool party in the hotel instead of worrying about the game. Games. So walk me through like the last year and a half was because it seems that there's clearly something different with the team this year under Laviolette than there was with Reardon. Yeah, so I think I think with Reardon it's tough when you because the Caps are a very veteran team, right? Like they mm-hmm. have one of the oldest. I think they have the oldest roster in hockey, and that was true the last two years too, right? Like Reardon mm-hmm. came on, and this was a veteran team that I think felt like they knew how to win, which fair, right? But you know, I think it's it's tough during the regular season when you're a veteran team, and basically both years they kind of knew that they were a playoff team, like after a couple of months, because it's, it's very Washington Capitals to have a very, very hot December and basically (laughs) have a playoff spot clinched by, by January. And I think if you look at, you know, last year in particular, but I think also the 2018, 19 team had this problem too, that uh, we talk about, Oh, is there a switch that you could turn on and off? But if there was the caps couldn't find it. And so they would have these enormous leads and always be in very safe playoff position both years. And, I, you know, I think that when in a veteran team, they struggled to kind of ramp it up a little bit. Now, do I say, think it's a pool party that like prevented them from doing it? <laughs> Not really. Like, I think that it's, I will say, I think with you, with a veteran team, it can be really tough, particularly in a pandemic to kind of not have your focus be on your family. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're, if I'm a 23 year old player, like I, maybe I have family, maybe I don't, but you know, when you're, when you're 30 and you got two kids, like a lot of the Capitals players have now, like it can be tough to kind of bring that focus, particularly in such a traumatic time to the Rick. And I think some of that's understandable. I think like one of the things that I've learned in covering the team a little bit more and kind of doing the role I do is that players are human. Right. So I think that that's, that's always, so that's a little bit of a diatribe, but I think it's, I think it's important to underscore that this is a Caps team that 
has a lot of veteran talent. I think they just struggled to kind of ramp it up. And I don't, Reardon was not really an authoritarian bench boss like Barry Trotz at times was. And, you know, I think you see that pendulum swing a lot in the NHL, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of the classic, oh, all right, we hired a disciplinarian. They pissed everyone off out of town. So let's hire someone that's going to be in the room and then better in the room. And then you hire the guy that's better in the room and then players walk all over him and it kind of seesaws a little bit. And so I think, Reardon was always someone who was a little bit more of a player's coach, however you want to define that. And I think the Caps were fine under him, but one, they ran into a really good Carolina team the year yeah. that they, they you know, lost in 2018-19. And that happens, right? Like, Carolina was really good. The Caps lost in Game 7 in overtime again, which in, in many years would have been very painful. This year, I think we were all like, all right, like, fine. Carolina was probably the better team that series anyways. Um, and then in, in the bubble, I think that, yeah, they, they played like crap. They were garbage. <laughs> and that's the series that got reared and fired was the Islanders one. And I think it's a combination of one, the Islanders turns out actually were pretty good in the bubble. Like they, they had, they really gave the lightning all they could handle in that series. So I credit to them for that. Uh, but yeah, like the Caps just didn't seem like they could make adjustments in series. One of the things that our site co-founder JP constantly talks about is that coaching in the regular season and coaching in the postseason is very different, right? Yeah. In the regular season, it's about maintaining your system. And this year's have been a little different because all these teams see each other a million times, but it's all about like, okay, let's get our system going. We're not going to do a ton of opposing scouting because there's a different team every other night, right? So like, what are you going to do? Whereas in the playoffs, it's one team and it's seven games. And there's a much higher premium on being able to make those kind of adjustments in game and in series. And I think that that's something that both in Carolina and against the Islanders was something Reardon really struggled with. And I, Reardon's going to get another shot as a head coach. I think he deserves it. I, I do think that that's kind of an area where there was a lot of a learning curve and Reardon just didn't quite have the buttons to kick the caps into gear when they needed it. And I, I, now you might say that wasn't maybe his fault, actually. I think that's a very defensible argument. And sometimes with these head coaching positions, maybe it's not anyone's fault. Maybe it just happened that way. And that's just life. (laughs) We we talked, I know we talked a little before about how hockey can be really random and sometimes fate can be cruel. And that's just the reality of it. Like, you know, say the Capitals, like, say Trotz gets fired in the year that they won the Stanley Cup. Like, do they win that cup? Probably not, but maybe. And so it's just, there's so many random things that kind of factor in here that can make it really tough on me as a commentator slash podcaster to kind of sit here and just say that there was any one cause for anything. Yeah, no, definitely. There's always complicated, there's compounding issues. No one ever gets fired specifically for just one thing. It's a, no, it's a compilation of a number of things over a period of time. And that brings us to where we are with Laviolette. Everybody knows who Peter Laviolette is. He's been around the league a long time. He's been to a few cup finals. He's had some really good teams. Uh, I still say he probably should have won that cup with Nashville when they played Pittsburgh and they ended up losing. Yeah, but... that would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think we could both say that that we did we yeah. did not want Pittsburgh win another cup. Yeah, we both look at it like that. And Laviolette's been around. You know what you're gonna get. You're gonna get a lot of offense. You're going to create a lot of chances. And I was going through in preparation, looking through the num the underlying numbers are interesting with Washington. They've outperformed them on offense, but also underperformed them. The goaltending, the underlying numbers don't like what the Capitals have done in net this year, a lot of understanding, expecting them to make more saves than they have. But they've gotten the benefit of 
overperforming expectations offensively where they're scoring more goals than expected. And I think they've been one of the more interesting teams this year because we're dealing with very finite sets of data because everyone's only playing each other. And the clear teams haven't really been able to separate themselves in the East because the four teams just keep beating the crap out of each other. Washington, Boston, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh, they're all just taking turns being the best team in the division for two weeks at a time. And it's been very hard to see who's actually the best team. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, okay. There's a, there's a few things I think of note with the Capitals, which is one, you look at it like the last four or five years in particular, but really I would say kind of the last, like, even before that, the Capitals pretty consistently will outperform their shot share numbers just because mm-hmm. of shooting talent. And yeah. you know, normally you would say, all right, like a high shooting percentage, the Caps, I think, still have the highest 5v5 shooting percentage in the league. You would expect that to regress, right? But the Capitals have done this for a while now. And, you know, you look at it like, all right, Ovechkin's going to usually riot a high shooting percentage. This year it's been Daniel Sprong who shot really well. But the Capitals also have a system. Yeah, yeah. This is mostly pre-Laviolette, but also with Laviolette too a little bit where they pass the puck side to side and the Capitals have such elite passers that they can kind of spread out goaltending and are going to probably outperform their shooting percentage. So you look at it and you're like, all right, like you expect some percentage shooting percentage to be baked in as them overperforming. So you just, as a capstan and an analytics nerd, one of the things that I hope for is, okay, can they at least just be average in terms of shot share, right? They don't need to be like a avalanche, like 60% in terms yeah. of expected goals. Like, they're probably not going to do that. You wouldn't expect them to. But can they at least be average? Like, can they be at 50%? And this year they have been. They've been at, like, yeah. 51%. And how they've done it is actually kind of an interesting reversal from what their top-line non-expected goals numbers would say. Because you're right, the Capitals do have one of the best offenses in the league. But actually, look at it under LaViolette, and the amount of shot generation they're getting isn't that special. And in many players, it's actually dropped off. So they're actually doing it by defense this year, which is interesting to me. And it kind of fits with what we were thinking in terms of LaViolette and the way that the Predators were playing, right? Mm -hmm. That the Predators were a team with a lot of blue liners that maybe didn't have the most, the greatest offensive talent up front, but they were going to really do a good job in terms of locking things down. And that's what uh, that's what uh, LaViolette has done in a lot of ways. Like yeah. the Caps are playing much better defense than they did under Todd Reardon. And they, I, you know, they, you look at it and you're like, okay, they're, I think, 51% expected goals right now, somewhere roughly yeah. around there. And you do that with a dash, a high shooting percentage, a way better defense. And yeah, this is a pretty good team. I Now, is this going to last through the playoffs? I'm not totally sure. <laughs> like, like I, 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 you know, I think I, I wasn't, I'm not the only one that's brought this up, but really, I think you could see any of those four teams winning. Maybe you would say a little bit less the Islanders now because they've been really struggling, particularly after, uh, God, who did they lose? Uh, is it not Bailey? Uh, Anders Lee. Anders Lee. Yeah. Anders Lee. Uh, after losing Anders Lee, that was a really, really tough loss to them. He plays kind of a key role in their power play and everything like that. But you know, like you could still see any, I mean, does anyone want to bet against Barry Trotz in a playoff series? Like not me. So I, you know, I think that that's like, you could see any of those four teams winning and I, the Capitals are right there. They just need better goaltending, which uh, obviously losing Henrik Lundqvist wasn't something they planned. And that was really tough and just sucky to see, right? Like particularly the way it happened, you just hope he's yeah. okay. And, you know, obviously both of our thoughts go out to the King, uh, but 
yeah, like after after he was gone, not it's it's been a kind of a two-headed combo of Vitek Vanacek and uh, Ilya Samsonov. And Vitek has kind of been roughly what you thought he would be, which is a you you're familiar with some of the old caps teams like i would the, the comparison i have in my brain is to michael neuther in a lot of okay. ways of like he's fine i don't think he's a goalie that's going to he's clearly not a goalie that's going to stand on his head and he makes he lets in some really bad goals that i and his rebound control is atrocious um which kind of makes sense as a young goalie but there you go so he's not a guy he might be a little more steady whereas samsonov is a former first round pick as everyone will tell you and has a lot of talent the question is getting his head screwed on straight and he's on the covid list again so maybe not there and so yeah like samsonov is has a lot more talent i think but just keeping his head screwed on straight isn't great and the caps depth beyond that is a 40-year-old Craig Anderson and Zach Fucali or uh, Fucali who I I like his I like Zach Fucali's name a lot as someone who's half <laughs> Italian but uh you know I don't I don't know if they, he's someone they can really rely on so uh yeah like the caps it's kind of on these two to figure it out and it would seem like Vanacek's gonna get the game one nod by default which isn't exactly what you'd want but and, you know, I don't know. And it's Samsonov still on the uh, still on the COVID list. So who knows when he's going to be back? And it'll probably still take him a little bit of practice to get in game shape anyways. The last part of this conversation about the team this year is the obvious one. They went out and they made probably the splashiest move of the trade deadline. They, they, went, out and, they went out and got Anthony Mantha. What have your impressions of Mantha been through about, what, a month? Yeah, about a month. Yeah, so he started off on fire i think he scored like in his first four games as a capital and since then he's interesting um i've actually i actually did some digging on him yesterday for a couple of things i'm working on and he's someone actually his defensive numbers are outstanding this year which i would not have thought uh he's someone that i think he you know he's really big but he doesn't really play big which is something that i i continually am frustrated by because you look at it and you're like all right the capitals have these guys who play a lot bigger than they are you think of the tj oshier connor sherry and those kind of veins and you're like why can't he just do that right but that's yeah. not the player he is he's someone that has a lot of talent and a lot of skill and he's a way better shooter than I would have ever thought. And he's, he's fast and he's all those kind of things. And I think he makes a good companion for Nicholas Backstrom, who is an excellent passer, but maybe kind of doesn't have the speed these days that you would hope. So, you know, I think he fits in. I do think that the Capitals saw his size and were like, all right, let's put him in the LaViolette system. And, you know, he could be the F1 on the floor check and really kind of get in there. And I don't really know if that's the kind of player he is. I think that that's the kind of player the Capitals were hoping he was going to be, but it might take an off season for him to kind of get there. So, you know, I think he's been fine. Um, I, I will be transparent. I did not like the trade at all mm. when they did it. Uh, and I still don't love the trade. It sounded like Vrana was really on the way out of the team, just in terms of their plans. He wasn't, he was getting, you know, very little ice time by Laviola and it didn't sound like their relationship was in a good place. So maybe they felt like they had to move on. And if you're going to do that, then you could do a whole lot worse than Anthony Mantha, particularly because Rana's uh, going to be up at the end of the season as an RFA anyways. But yeah, like, you know, Rana has been very good for the, for the uh, Red Wings take for that, what you will obviously. But, you know, I think that losing losing him was tough particularly on a team that is pretty old and doesn't have a lot of speed um 
so yeah, I you know I think that Mantha's been fine, uh, and he's definitely a good top six player. Uh, you know, I still think the jury is out on this trade. To be perfectly honest, yeah, it's it's always hard to evaluate a trade in the moment, especially because they're going to completely different types of landing spots. Where Veron is going to play top six minutes because Detroit just wants to see what they have, whereas Mantha has to find his way in an established pecking order already. Yeah. And when we talk about where the Capitals are in the division and their prospects for this season, you're look, you're staring down the barrel of a first round matchup with a Bruins team that co- seems to have found how to score on its second line again. That was the big problem for the Bruins all this year, this year was they could not get any scoring aside from the Bergeron, Marshawn and Posternock line. At one point they had Posternock playing on the second line just to try and get it going. Yep. And they go out and get Hall. Taylor Hall seems to have remembered how to finish. He he was always playing fine in Buffalo. It's just the puck wasn't going in the net. And now Boston seems to have shaped itself up. And that's a daunting prospect of, of yeah. a first-round matchup. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 we were talking a little before that the Capitals have a way of controlling their destiny if the Islanders were to win tonight. I think in regulation mm. that helps. Uh, yeah, I, like, I, um, I, I am not thrilled about the idea of playing Boston. <laughs> I... I had them picked like a lot of people to win the division and it looks like injuries were going to have prevented that from happening for them, but they're still really good. And uh, yeah, like Taylor Hall just seems like the perfect fit, right? He doesn't have to be the kind of the number one guy, which he can be. And I always thought that that reputation that he had was a little unfair. Like you try going to Buffalo and playing well at this point. Uh, But man, oh man, he's perfect on that second line. Huh? And uh he he fits in i think with kind of what they're doing he's a lot bigger and plays a lot tougher i think that he's given credit for too which again perfect perfect fit in boston is what cassidy's looking for there and so yeah he's he's been really good and uh boston in particular i mean like if it wasn't for um you know everyone deciding that victor hedman was going to win the norris this year because it was his turn charlie mcelroy i think would have a great argument for it he's been really good and uh yeah so I, I really like Boston. Uh, I really hope the Caps don't play them, but it kind of sure sounds like they will. So as a Caps fan, honestly, just what I want for my lineup is just to be healthy at this point. Yeah. Like they have had, uh, I, I, I joked about this on Twitter this morning, uh, that they're having what, what you would call a, um, basically a, a bunch of fatigue injuries at this point, right? Yeah. You look at, they're a lineup, that team with a lot of 30 plus players and they have a lot of lower body injuries, which to me says, okay, this is a team that is tired. And so honestly, I, I don't want to play Boston, but if they have to, I at least hope that the Caps are able to ice their, their best lineup. Mm-hmm. In a perspective matchup with the Bruins, what is your biggest concern about what the Capitals do that would give them a hard time against the Bruins? So, you know, I think that Boston is good defensively and I, mm-hmm. I get, I I'm concerned particularly as the season has worn on that the caps are just, they, they have some depth in terms of scoring or like they have Nick Dowd who scored 11 goals this year, which is something you totally would have expected going into the year. But I, you look at it and Boston's a good physical team that can kind of get down on the four check. And I would be a little concerned for the Capitals uh, if they struggle to exit the zone. That's going to be something that when the Caps are playing well, they get out of the zone really easily. And I don't think Boston's going to let them do that. And so particularly not just with the perfection line, but now with a really good second line, Boston can just kind of play below the goal line a lot. And I think that's going to give the Caps a lot of trouble. So 
you look at it and you're like, okay, do the Caps have the legs to consistently get out of their own zone? And I think that's kind of an open question still at this point. Of the of your team, aside from the goaltending, who do you think is the most important player to be right for them to have a good chance to beat Boston? Is it a defenseman? Is it a forward? Yeah. So okay, I'll give you the I'll give you a conventional answer, and I'll give you two unconventional answers. Okay. I'm gonna cheat. Um. So I think the conventional answer is uh I would say goaltending. Like you know, if the Caps do not have good goaltending, that's it. Right. And that's clearly the correct answer. Right. Like they haven't had great goaltending all year. And if they get substandard goaltending, they could outplay Boston or the Islanders and lose because that's hockey and that's just goaltending. So that's the boring answer, though. Let me give you two fun answers. Um, One, I'm going to say Dmitry Orlov. Uh, he okay. is at, so he's the Capitals first pair defenseman with Carlson right now. He's someone that consistently ranks analytically as one of the better Capitals players. And when they went on the cup run, they were actually really dependent on a Niskanen Orlov pair, particularly driven by Orlov to play against the team's best players. And so if Orlov is able to do that and is able to play against some of the other team's best players and keep like, you know, basically draw even or slightly above, that gives a lot of better matchups to the second and third pairs. So that's super helpful. The other one I would say is Lars Eller. Um, Lars Eller is someone that, particularly with Kuznetsov being out, and who knows what Kuznetsov is going to be like when he's back from the COVID list again. uh, He's someone that is kind of a jack of all trades in terms of the lineup. They've actually had him play anywhere from the top line to the third line. Like he can do any of those. And he, he's got a little snake bit this year, but the underlying numbers are all there for him again. So he's someone that, you know, particularly if there's any kind of injury that the caps are going to really rely on him to be a key player for them going forward. I think he has the horses for it, but you know, we got it. We got to see it in action. Of these teams in the East, we said before, we think any of the four who make the playoffs could come out. Do you think any of them will have better than a puncher's chance against the Avalanche, Lightning, or Hurricanes? Because I feel like that's kind of the the scale we're all judging against right now is can anybody from the East or the North compete with those three teams? Yeah, well, we talked about it earlier, right? <laughs> that uh, yeah. when you have all these intra-divisional games and no outer divisional games, I have no idea. And like, mm-hmm. no one does. And that's actually kind of exciting, I think, in a weird yeah. way, because like, as an analytic person, I find this fascinating, right? Like, I don't, I have no idea what the avalanche would look like against the Maple Leafs or anything like that to borrow a, t- a matchup that I think is decently likely to happen. Um, you know, I, I, I have no idea. Now, I think that the avalanche are clearly the Avalanche and, and maybe you want to say Vegas and maybe you want to say Tampa, although actually I think you could put Carolina right up there too. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think are maybe in a league of their own, but also maybe not. Like I have no idea. Right. I mean, like we're talking, I just listed off four teams. Two of them aren't even going to be in those, in the top four. Right. Yeah. So I, I have no idea. And that's, that's kind of exciting, frankly. Like, I mean, so many years we're just saying, all right, like we kind of know, you know, who the best teams are because they've all played each other. But this year we have no idea how those matchups would work. And that's kind of cool. I also think it's it's really cool that, and I really would like the NHL to do this going forward, that we're going to reseed in the top four. Yeah. I actually think that that's a great idea. And I think it gives us room for there to be a lot of really kind of interesting matchups. And I would like to see the league do this, uh, 
going forward because I frankly who really cares about filling out an NHL playoff bracket no one cares about that so just like reseed have it be fun no one cares about the Prince of Wales trophy anyways right like let's do that so that was a very long answer of way of saying I have no idea I I, as I said at the top I think the Avalanche are probably the best team but you know who knows like they could have their top two goalies go out again and then who then maybe it's Vegas or maybe it's Minnesota who's also really good so really I you know I think that this is going to be a really exciting couple of months as a hockey fan and uh let's kind of just step back and enjoy so you mentioned it right there about the Capitals being healthy. Your Ovechkin is, seems to be the closest of everyone to coming back. I know he was at practice. He has I I think I saw a leg injury or something in the lower body. Welcome to being yeah. a hockey fan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have no have, idea what injury he has. You have Carlson out, Backstrom yep. is there, Oshi got pulled out, and mm-hmm. then Kuznetsov and Samsonov are both on the COVID list. If one of these guys isn't back for your playoff run, do you feel like your chances are already kind of shot? Because they're all so, aside from Samsonov, because yeah. you had mentioned that him and v- Vanacek are kind of a 1A, 1B situation. Or do you feel like you could overcome one of those guys being out for the first part of a playoff series? Well, I, you know, I think it's it's tough. You know, obviously you want to say, okay, like Ovechkin is kind of the heart and soul of the Capitals. And yes, I know that the Capitals have a really good record when Ovechkin hasn't played this year, but still <laughs> it's, Al- it's Alex Ovechkin, right? I'm not going to sit here yeah. and say he's not super important. Um, you know, I, I think that the really crappy part about all of these injuries is that it's who they're to, right? Like yeah. it's to the two, the Caps top two centers and who the heck knows what's going on with the COVID list. Although I think if you had to say, Kuznetsov almost certainly already had COVID and I think he's still in kind of precautionary land. Um, maybe he'll come back, although God knows how he's going to look. And I know that when the Caps have had a bunch of people before on the COVID list, Kuznetsov included, it took a while for them to get back in the swing of things. And that's not the kind of luxury you're going to have in a playoff series. So that's not ideal. And obviously Backstrom, I, you know, the team said that this wasn't precautionary holding him out against Boston. I'm or against, uh, God, who did they beat? Uh, Philadelphia. Uh, they, they, that was not precautionary that they, if they had him, they would have, I I'm kind of skeptical of that still, frankly, I don't really believe a ton of what Laviolette says anymore. Uh, he's not, always been the most honest with the media so i don't have to believe him if i don't want to so i i kind of which which in this case means that i i continue to think that you know it was one of those situations where the caps are trying to get their guys rested uh but yeah like i mean losing your top two centers uh losing your number one defenseman and losing your franchise sole player not ideal and tj oshi's been excellent this year too so yeah i like they're gonna need if not all, at least most of them uh, to come yeah. back. The good news, though, is that um, it was Backstrom, Ovechkin, and Carlson were all skating today and were full practice on the team. So you would think, okay, like they're probably going to be fine. The other thing that's big is that uh, we might still be looking at quite a few days off between when the playoffs yeah. start and now. And man, oh man, the Caps need that. <laughs> like they are the oldest team, and it's really showing because they have a whole bunch of older players with lower body injuries after playing 56 hockey games in 110 days. So yeah, that'll, that'll happen. And uh, I just, you know, like I have no idea who's going to win. I have no idea if the caps have like a great shot against Boston or no shot at all, but I at least want to see the whole caps roster healthy because 
I mean, we, we kind of, you know, bring it back full circle a little bit here, but the Caps have the oldest roster in hockey. And so I'm tired of talking about a championship window, you know, like you could do all kinds of things to extend that, but there ain't much longer that they can have Ovechkin be one of their best players and still be a cup contender at this point. So I really, any year that they're really beat up in the playoffs and maybe bow out before they could, it kind of feels like a missed opportunity. Very, very fair. Before I get you out of here, Greg, I have asked every single one of my hockey guests this question. You are going to be the latest to get it. All right. What do you got for me? If you could have any playoff series in this postseason that does not involve the Capitals, what teams would you like to see play each other and why? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I mean, I'm going to see one of my, so, okay. My, my second favorite team is actually the Florida Panthers. Cause I'm, okay. I'm Jewish and spent a lot of time in Florida, like all <laughs> Jewish people, cause I have grandparents there. And so I've saw, seen a lot of Florida Panthers games. So all that being said that uh, I I'm going to get one of my dream matchups in uh, Florida, Tampa in a series that I actually think Florida has a better chance than people think, but uh, that aside, I, you know, I really want to see Connor McDavid play Austin Matthews as a hockey That would be fan, fun. Right? Like, a McDavid has had maybe, like, one of the greatest years of the last 20 years. Like, you want to say, right? Like, I, yeah. I know he's, he's played the Senators a million times and scored a million <laughs> points against them and all that. But still, man, like, 100 points in, like, 53 games? That's crazy. Insane. And Insane. I want to see him, like, play a Leafs team that – isn't all that great defensively? There's going to be some, there's going to be some, if they play each other, and I really hope they do, there's going to be some like six, five games that I really, that are going to be must watch TV. So uh, I think that'll be my answer. And uh, yes, I also really want to see Vegas and Colorado play too. Uh, we got robbed of Vegas, Colorado last year. That should have been did. our conference final last year. We did. And that no one cares about the stars. Like, come on. <laughs> this is all about, like, give me, give me, give me Colorado. Like, Colorado's so yeah. much fun. It's not fair what happened because they were, like, playing with, what, Michael Hutchinson during yeah. two points? And it's like, no, come on. Like, I want to see this team that has, like, I don't know, freaking, like, their third pair defensively could be a lot of teams' first pairs defensively, right? So it's like, man, oh, man, they have so much freaking talent on that team. I want to see them go on a run. And then lose to the Capitals. There you go. <laughs> we said non-capitals involved. Well, you said no, no, non-capitals. I, I was, I was just, I was giving you a bonus thing that okay, is not a prediction you. because that's probably more just wishful thinking. But there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, Greg. This no was problem, a lot of fun. no problem, man. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Uh, do I do I plug things now? Is that how this goes? I, I was just about to say, plug the there site, plug anything you've been working on. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a podcaster too, so I am familiar with the uh, with the annual ritual of the plug. Um, so I am, I work I write for Japers Rink, which is www.japersrink.com. It's one of the SB Nation sites for the Washington Capitals. Um, so it's a great site. We have a lot of great content. I will be churning out stuff for the playoffs. Uh, I focus kind of on analytics as. I'm sure people could hit here a little bit in some of my ramblings. Uh, I also have a podcast, uh, Japers Rink Radio, which uh, you can follow on Twitter at, at Japers Rink Radio. Uh, we have a lot of cool guests on. Uh, this week, we're actually doing two episodes, which I'm very excited about. We're having the Washington Post, Samantha Pell on to preview the, the Washington Capitals. And uh, we're going to have a three-man episode with uh, Corey Snyder of Shutdown Line on Twitter to yep. preview kind of the rest of the NHL. So uh, we've got all that coming up. And uh, you can follow me at Twitter at Greg Y underscore JR. Uh, I will be tweeting during the playoffs and uh, whatever various musings come to my brain. 
Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun. It's always nice talking to fellow analytics nerds and trying to unpack the the circus that's about to begin. Yeah. Well, when you when you dropped an expected goals reference, I'm like, all right, I'm I'm in I'm in good company here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for Greg for coming on. I will see you guys tomorrow. Not sure. I believe my Winnipeg Jets episode will be going up tomorrow. And we'll talk a little bit about what a matchup against the Oilers is going to look like for the Jets. I will see you guys then.